Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we invite your presence. We invite your Holy Spirit. We invite the spirit of revelation today as we open up your scriptures and we ask you to show us what you want us to see, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, and open our ears. Lord, we choose today to be receptive to your voice, and I pray that you would speak to each one of us today in the name of Jesus. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Today's going to be a a little bit of an unusual message in that I'm not attempting to do teaching as much as proclamation today. You're probably going to hear a lot of what you already know intellectually. But what I want the Lord to do for us today is to create inspiration. Create inspiration inside of us. As we... We uh, go back and walk through history uh, concerning the birth of Christ. Uh, it's easy, even as Christians and even as those who who uh, celebrate Christian and celebra- uh, Christmas and celebrate it for the right reasons. Every year, uh, we we arrive at this time of year. We say it's great that Jesus was born, um, and we miss the fact that it's it's the culmination of history. When we talk about the birth of Christ and uh, those folks who lived in the Old Testament era, they always had an expectation. And we're going to see some of that today as we as we move through. So we're going to we're going to travel through the Old Testament, uh, stopping along the way at guideposts, uh, not at every guidepost and not at every place we could stop. Uh, there, there'll be many more places you could go on your own in your own study time. But I just want to begin to uh, trek through history, uh, at looking at the coming king. And last week, uh, or, or two weeks ago, uh, when we were talking about lessons from Christmas, I read you a little blurb from, from Genesis 49. And those of you who read the December issue of the Kernels of Truth, <clears throat> I mentioned uh, uh, Genesis 49:10 in there as well, and uh, it just struck me. There was this phrase just struck me in that verse, and we'll get to it in a moment. So as we go through this this historical trek, so to speak, each guidepost that we stop at will add not so subtle hints to the story of the one who would come for them anyway, for the one who would come. And we'll just see some some uh, lessons, maybe just some information. But I pray that as we as we work our way through, that we have somewhat of a crescendo of revelation in the Holy Spirit, and that you and I see Christmas through different lens, through different eyes, as we look through the the walk that we're going through. And of course, obviously, we recognize. That we today live in the fulfilled age of until. It's not until for us. It was until for them. We've already arrived and we live in the until today. So if you haven't already, if you want to turn to uh, Genesis 49. And uh, if you would stand with me while I read verses 8 through 12. And I'm again reading from the uh, English Standard Version. 
I'm starting right in the middle. Uh, Jacob is addressing his sons. And he gets to Judah and he says, Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cup. From, from the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. Now, you'll, most of your Bibles there, your margin will say something like, until, uh, until he comes to whom it belongs. We'll come back to that. And to him shall be the obedience of the peoples, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. He has washed his garments in wine and his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine and his teeth whiter than milk. You can be seated. Those last two verses uh, carry a lot. Uh, and I think that mostly what they're talking about is the wealth of Judah, this, this prosperity of Judah. But as I said, the key phrase that, that keeps coming to me, the English Standard Version says, until tribute comes to him, but the margin in the English Standard Version, matches what the Tree of Life Version gives us, and that is, until he comes to whom it belongs. Shiloh, some of your Bibles will say there. Shiloh means to, until he comes or till it comes. And I began to look at this principle that, that even as early as Genesis, earlier than here, but as early as Genesis, we're talking about until he comes to whom it belongs. We, we were already, uh, we're already looking forward from that point to someone coming to whom it belongs. What does it belong? The scepter. The scepter is the sign of kingship, the sign of royalty until he comes to whom the scepter and the ruler's staff belongs. So we're talking about a king from the very beginning and we're talking about out of the tribe of Judah, we know from the very early, from here at the very least, that Jesus, the Messiah, comes from the tribe of Judah. Of all the sons that he could have come out of, God chose Judah. It's interesting that he says, Jacob says to him, your brothers will bow down before you. And it's interesting that Joseph said that to his brothers, and they did, and obviously did here as well. Uh, Genesis 3.15 is probably the first account where we see this and it's and it's God speaking to the serpent remember that the serpent has beguiled Eve and 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 uh, deceived her into doing something and by the way uh, back in the 60s and 70s there was a comedian by the name of Flip Wilson if you remember Flip Wilson I figured it'd be a very small number uh, yeah, the church of what's happening now. Flip Wilson had an alter ego by the name of Geraldine. Yes, Geraldine was a girl uh, when Flip Wilson dressed up like one. And Geraldine had a favorite saying, and that was, the devil made me do it. Every time something, Geraldine, the devil made me do it. I want to let you know, and on something today, the devil cannot make you do anything. The devil did not make Eve partake of the fruit, nor Adam. But the devil can beguile you and deceive you. 
And so God deals with all three. I mean, it's always interesting how Adam already learns how to abdicate responsibility. When God gets on Adam, he said, but God, it's that woman that you gave me. Leaves him out. But here he is dealing with the serpent and he says to the serpent, I will put animosity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he will crush your head. And you will crush his heel. Now, how many of you understand there's a difference between having your head crushed and having your heel crushed? He's pronouncing judgment upon the serpent, but he's also pronouncing that one will come, the seed of Eve, one would come who would crush the head of our enemy, Satan. We're already seeing that. By the way, next slide, William. We're not going to turn, but if you're taking notes, these are fulfilling scriptures of that. These are prophetic fulfillments of of what uh, is said in Genesis 3.15, if you want to look those up later, taking notes. And and we pointed this out last week that he says, to him, until he comes to whom it belongs, and to him will be the obedience of all the peoples. It's very clear that while, while Jacob is speaking a blessing upon Judah, it's very clear that he's prophesying concerning the coming Messiah when he talks about the scepter, the ruler, the ruler's staff, and the obedience of all the peoples would come from Judah. You fast forward a few generations, and we talk about and we see the branch from Jesse. The branch from Jesse, um, Isaiah 11, 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, we're going to come back to the branch part of that later on. But he's talking about Jesse, uh, from Jesse's seed, from Jesse's lineage comes this shoot, this branch. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord will rest on the branch from Jesse. Jesse, obviously, is David's father. And so the lineage of David and Judah are continued to be connected with the Messiah. And so here we have this this uh, Messiah is being prophesied, and he shall bear fruit of a new world. Here He shall bear fruit of a new kingdom, of a new society of people that are connected by the Spirit of God. And the, the uh, result will be productivity. Jesus will have productivity. But it's interesting that he says, upon him will be the spirit of the Lord, which will carry with them that wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, knowledge, and fear of the Lord, or awesome reverence. Uh, I think it's good that that this is here for, for one reason, and that is a lot of people, when they see the, the term fear of the Lord, uh, they they immediately go to... Someone who is cruel, someone who is overly abusive, and they, and they cower in fear before that person. Um, and anybody who's been abused as a child, they, they have a real hard time with the fear of the Lord because they don't, they see fear as that. But I want to tell you that this is talking about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, Jesus, the anointed one, And he will have the spirit of the Lord, which will give him the fear of the Lord. 
Now, we know that Jesus has no reason to cower in that kind of fear before the Father. So we're talking about awesome reverence. Now, I think we should shake before God sometimes. I think we should tremble before God. Not because he's a cruel king, but because he's an awesome king. I remember, I probably told you the story. Uh, I listened to Rick and Bubba. You ought to as well. But anyway, that's a different story. And they were going to meet George W. Bush, and they were in line to go meet him and have a picture made with him. And, and Rick Burgess tells the story that he had, he had rehearsed what he was going to say as he walked, you know, worked his way through the line. And then when he got up, uh, time, he and his wife got up and stood beside George and Laura, uh, Laura Bush. And he said he stood beside the president and he couldn't say a word. His, he just froze. All the things he rehearsed, none of them would come out. He just, so he said nothing. And why was that? Is, is that because George Bush was such a great guy? No. It's because he was standing by the president of the greatest country in the world. And there was something about that that made him freeze. And that's what we're talking about. When we get in God's presence, there ought to be a little bit of a, of a trembling, so to speak, in, if we recognize that he's an awesome God. And here we see that the Spirit of the Lord teaches us that and teaches the Messiah. If uh, The days are coming. As we're going through history, you repeatedly see this or something like this as we go through the Old Testament. Either until he comes or in this case, until the days are coming. Jeremiah 23, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king. No doubt who that is. And deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. The days are coming. Put yourself in the place of Judah or Israel during this time. And you're, you're trying to look forward. And the prophet says to you, there's going to be a branch. And this branch is going to reign as king. And you're going to be saved because his name is the Lord is our righteousness. And you've got to sit there and wonder, what does that mean? When does this occur? When is this going to happen? I don't see it happening. And yet the prophet says it's coming, that the righteous branch would come. Zechariah 3.8 says, I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. Jesus, I want to say to you today, was always, everybody say always. Jesus was always coming as the reigning king, always. And another part of this message that I want us to get, and you've heard me say it hundreds of times, is that Jesus was not plan B. Sometimes we think that God made a mistake, and he said, oops, let's let's go to plan B. And that's not the case. Jesus was plan A since the before the foundation of the world. And this is, this is indicating to us as we look at these scriptures that Jesus was the plan all along. His name, the Lord, is our righteousness. By the way, in the passage in Zechariah, he's writing about Zedekiah, who's 
the king. And this is a play on Zedekiah's name. His name means the Lord is my righteousness. And the prophet changes that. And what he's saying to those folks in that day is that even though Zedekiah fails, a new king will come until he comes. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, and who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. So that as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let, let us confess him. Let us let us proclaim his greatness before the world. And once again, we see this phrase, until he comes. In Ezekiel 21, he says, and he's again speaking to Zedekiah, and you profane wicked one, prince of Israel, whose day has come. If you're the king, you do not want to hear God say, your day has come. There were some football teams last night whose day has come. They can ride off into the sunset. Others will take their place. Remove the turban and take off the crown. That's a clue. Things shall not remain as they are. This also shall not be until he comes. The one to whom judgment belongs and I will give it. To him. So here we are making our trek. We, we started Genesis. We're working our way through and we're seeing again and again and again until he comes or the days are coming when he will come and you live in that day and you're looking forward and we're traveling through the Old Testament till we get to that event. We stop off in Bethlehem, little Bethlehem and we see the prophet Micah who writes, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, that's easy for you to say. Who are too little to be among the clans of Judah? From you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Here is Bethlehem, who's so small they can't even be listed. They're not even listed on the, in the in the directory. They're not counted. Isn't it? Isn't it God's um, sort of sense of humor? that he would choose Bethlehem. You and I and all the people who always want to be on the front page of the newspaper, we would pick the biggest city and the, the most, most, most vast city, the greatest, so to speak, city to have the Messiah born into. But God in his wisdom picks Bethlehem who can't even be listed in the clans of Judah because it's so small. And yet, there he was. And not only that, he, he's born in the smallest city, the king be listed. And then God's Holy Spirit walks by all of the religious dignitaries and finds some nasty old shepherds out in the field. So, hey, you need to go see the Messiah. Isn't that, isn't that just funny how that works? Well, it's not funny, but it's just unusual. Too little to be counted. But then Matthew, Matthew writes a particular take on this. And you, Bethlehem, land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. In other words, even though you're the smallest city, you're so small you're not listed among the clans of Judah, you're still not the least among the rulers because come out of you comes the Messiah. Little Bethlehem, ruler 
of Israel. It comes from of old, from ancient days. Once again, you'll see scriptures on the screen that will that are fulfilling scriptures of Micah chapter 5, 2. And then we get into the part about branch out. Zechariah once again says, Then say to him, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, a man whose name is Branch, for he will branch out from where he is. And he will build the temple of the Lord. It is he who shall build the temple of the Lord, and he shall bear royal honor and shall sit and rule on his throne. The branch, we call him the branch because he branches out. We're going to read the scripture in a little while, but we've said recently that when Isaiah says that a son is given to us, a child is born, a son is given, that sonship was the extension of the family. Sonship would build the family name uh, throughout history. And, of course, what Jesus started uh, when he came to earth is now well into the millions millions of, of people who name the name of God and who are part of the family of God. And he, he, he rules, and he has royal honor. He sits on the throne, and we see this in Zechariah. It's not in the Gospels. I mean, it is in the Gospels, but we see it in Zechariah before it happens. And then we start seeing, as we continue through, we start seeing uh, the, the observance that he's coming as a child. Remember that it was... Um, uh, the children of Israel, the people of Israel thought they were getting a warrior, and they did get a, or getting a warrior, but they thought that Jesus was coming to annihilate the Romans and to become as that warrior and destroy people. And then Isaiah seven fourteen says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We dealt two weeks ago with the, the reason why the virgin birth was... So important, as a matter of fact, extremely vital to the gospel. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So we begin to see that if we're looking at the Old Testament, if we're walking through and we're there and we're reading Isaiah or listening to Isaiah, we understand and we don't, we don't know how it's going to happen, but we understand that the Messiah is coming as a son, as a child. Once again, if you want to look at the scriptures that fulfill that, you'll see them on the screen as well, where the virgin shall conceive, be Emmanuel. And of course, Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. We begin to see through the, through the prophetic word of the scripture that this Messiah is coming as a child, as a son, to be one of us uh, in Luke 10, 11, Obviously deals with that. And then when we get to Zechariah 9, 9, he prophesies that, behold, your king is coming to you. Did I say that Jesus was always intended to be the king? When he came? Your, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And we know this occurrence uh, in Matthew, where he comes riding into the city on a donkey, and, and he, they say, Behold, your king is coming. And he's sitting on a donkey. Now, Matthew records the fact that they go find a donkey and her foal, her colt. So there's actually two donkeys. 
And Jesus rides the, the colt um, into the city. And Mark, it's kind of, you have to put it all together, but Mark tells us that no one had ever ridden on that colt before. No one had ever sat on that colt. And so here we are going through the city and you, and the, 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 the mother donkey and the colt going together and Jesus riding on the colt upon which no one has ever sat. And I think the significance of that is, is that it implies that this colt, it implies a kind of purity that destines an animal for a sacred task. In other words, it's no one but the Messiah has ridden on this colt. And he comes into town. But it's interesting that Zechariah sees this hundreds of years before. He sees this. And yet, here we are, it's fulfilled almost exactly. Now, I'm going, as I finish, I'm going to ask you to turn to two passages. And the first one is going to be 1 Peter 3. Um, because I want to talk about a completed mission. At the right hand of the Father. Because not only do we see from Genesis on, we see the King is coming or until He comes or the days are coming. Uh, and not only do we see that the, He's coming as a child, He'll be born of a virgin. Not only do we see that He'll come as a child, but He'll also come as a son. We see all of this. And we see that as, as the Messiah, He'll come riding into the city on a colt who's never been ridden by anyone we see that he's completed his mission in 1 Peter 3. And now I've told you to do that. I probably need to do it myself. 1 Peter 3, and we're going to start reading in verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Y'all know which is which, don't you? That was supposed to be funny. He's righteous, we're unrighteous. That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to the to Noah, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Christmas culminates here. Christmas culminates with Jesus going into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God and all the, the authorities, all the powers being subjected to him. When you started in Genesis, this is where we were headed. When you start at the very beginning of history and, and time and the recording of all this, this is where we were headed, that he would become our substitute. He would go into heaven and sit at God's right hand, and that he would, all the authorities would be subjected to the Lord Jesus. And then finally, if you'll just flip over just a couple, a few more books to Revelation chapter 19. Now, it doesn't matter to me if you are a pre-trib 
post-trib, mid-trib, or baby crib. Uh, this passage describes a reigning king. And you can, you can place him in whatever event you want to place him. But I want us to see, as we finish up today, we've started in Genesis when the seed of Eve would crush the head of our enemy. And we've worked our way through history and through the Old Testament. And we arrive at this, at this place in Revelation that describes this king. And starting in verse 11, then I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Now, if you, most of your Bibles there will capitalize faithful and true because we're talking about a person who is deity. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. Now, I know a lot of pacifists can't handle the fact that Jesus makes war. But it's like the old eagle song. You just got to get over it. His eyes are like a flame of fire. And on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nation's And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. Don't miss verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Aren't you glad for Christmas? Aren't you glad for a perspective of Christmas that brings us that we, we don't stop at the manger. We, we're glad for the manger. We stop this time of year to observe the manger. But we don't stop there. We go right on through. But the fact that the, the coming of Christ. And people, I didn't read all the verses. There's a lot more we could have read. But the fact that we start in Genesis 3. And we begin to work out. And we see the coming Messiah. We see repeatedly the phrase until he comes. Or the days are coming. The king is coming. We see this all through the Old Testament, testifying that he's coming. And then one day in Bethlehem, that occurrence comes true. But the scripture keeps on being fulfilled as he goes on through life, lives on the earth, goes back to heaven. He's gone into heaven in Peter's words. And now he is our conquering king. And he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So, This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we take the time to recognize that he came as a child. He came as the son of God and the son of man so that he could do all the things these scriptures said that he came to do and that you and I could live in the Christian life and the Christian victory that we live in today and we could continue on. So let us worship the king who was born. Let us worship the Christ child, and let's continue to worship him as our reigning king, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. Can you say amen? Amen. Stand with me.